great to be in the house of the Lord today, man. It's our joy to have you. We just want to welcome you today. If you're a guest with us, it is our honor. and We're excited and delighted that you would spend Sunday morning with us in the early service. Amen? The early service. There's always uh, plenty of space in the early service. Amen? Getting up to church early, that's a, that's a unique gift. Amen? On a Sunday morning when we love to sleep late. And, uh, man, hey, uh, I just want to share with you... Uh, we, after Easter, we began to look at what happened after the resurrection and um, just kind of walking that right up to the book of Acts, into Acts chapter 1. And Man, I already had uh, everything laid out for the summer. If you're, if you're new here, we, we normally try to go through a, a systematic process through the summer because everybody is all over the place. and So we like to have it to where... Uh, if you're miss, if you're out for whatever reason, you could just kind of keep up with where we are. And uh, man, I had all that worked out and was excited about it. And um, and uh, the more that I was moving away from um, um, Easter into the Book of Acts, man, God just began to put His thumb in my back. And and uh, two Sundays ago, I preached a sermon out of Acts chapter one, and uh, I had a, a young lady stop me in the foyer and. Uh, she said, please tell me, please tell me that you're preaching through the book of Acts. And I said, well, I was kind of asking the Lord for a sign because I felt like that was what he was leading me to do, but I was trying to talk my way out of it with God, you know, negotiating with God. I mean, Acts is a, a, a challenge to get through. And uh, so as she walked off, I said, okay, Lord, if a high school student comes and says, uh, uh, please, not every day a high school student says on the way to church, I was saying, I wish I had somebody that could teach me the book of Acts. I mean, that's not, preachers don't hear that every Sunday, just in case you, you're wondering. And so uh, I began to look at that and say, what does this look like? And so I began to think about Acts in a whole different context. And so, um, because what we're doing at Family of Grace, in fact, I had this conversation with a pastor yesterday who's, who's, who's trying to lead his church in a, in a new era, and um, he was just kind of flat out against it. He's like, that just won't work. That won't work where I'm at. And I said, okay, well, let, let me back up for a moment, because what we're, it's, Pastor Brandon said this wonderfully one day, our college pastor. I said, he said, what we're doing is not new. It's actually ancient at Family of Grace, trying to go back to the model in the book of Acts, in the early church, the way the early church was, was, was moving and doing life together. And so I was thinking about that, and as Jesus went away, he left us two commandments. Now, in the Old Testament, there was ten. And then he summarized that into two. And it says this, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then when you're through doing that, love your neighbor as yourself. And it says all these other commandments can be summarized in them. Now think about it. Boy, he took ten and whoop, made it two. Because five of the ten commandments pertain to God and five pertain to man. And so therefore, if you're walking it out and you're, and you're loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, then you're not going to have a problem using his name in vain. If you're loving him, you're not going to have a problem putting somebody else before him 
if he's your first love. And then, likened unto it, if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, it's a pretty good chance you're not going to be stealing from him and running around with his wife and killing people and those kind of things. Are you, are you picking up what I'm putting down early this morning? And so he summarized that, and he gave it to the early church. And so he gave them two commandments and then a commission, a commandment and a commission. And the commission was, I want you to go into all the world, all the world, and make disciples. He didn't say, I want you to go into all the world and have a concert. I don't want you to go into all the world and have a preaching crusade. He didn't say, I want you to go into all the world and, and, and have team-building exercises. I don't want you to go in. He said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. I feel like over the last 10 to 20, 30, 40 years, we have done very good at holding crusades and preaching events all over the world, holding concerts all over the world. And that's not bad. It's part of the disciple-making process, but the reality is it's not the end goal. The end goal is to make disciples, a follower, one who obeys the teachings of his master. And so I was thinking about that. And you know I'm simple-minded if you've been around here very long, and I, I have a tendency to look up the most simple definitions. So I looked up the definition to the word Acts. So if you have your Bible, I want you to take it and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1 and chapter 2, and I want to show you something. Now, if you're reading on a smart device, you may not be able to participate in this first exercise, but if you still have the, the old way of reading the book, which is on print, then you probably can do this. On my Bible, here's what it says right here. It says, the Acts. See, now, we've thought about the book of Acts for so long that we just think that's the name of it. But the book of Acts underneath mine says, the Acts of the Apostles. So this whole book of Acts is about what the early believers were doing. You remember last week we looked and there were 3,000 that were saved. It's where we left the sermon off with 3,000 people being born again. And so this is the story of where those 3,000 went out. You remember several weeks back we talked about at the end of the Gospel of John where we talked about Jesus said, uh, and, and the, the, the very end of John, he said, and the world wouldn't contain the volumes of the books. The bo world could not contain the books and volumes of the things that Jesus has done. So the whole book of Acts is the story of what Jesus was doing in the lives of the early people. You remember in that sermon I asked you to turn to Acts chapter 29. Well, there is no Acts chapter 29 because it's the story of us. It's the story of you. It's the story of family of grace. It's the story. It's your story and how that is still being written and multiplied out. So basically, we could look right here and it would basically say the Acts of the Apostles. Now, what we think about in Acts 29 would be the Acts of Brad, the Acts of Matt, the Acts of Christy, the Acts of whoever. What are your Acts? And so I looked up this definition, so just oblige me for a moment for the simplicity of this, and here's what it said. <clears throat> Anything done or being done in deed or performance, the process of doing something, a formal decision, a law or anything like it, of legislator, a ruler, a court, or, an, or other authority, a decree, a statute, a judgment, Something that is resolved. And there was one more definition. The things that plays are centered around. You ever been to a play? What does it say in your handbill? 
Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. And every time you go to a play and it moves from Act 1 to Act 2 into Act 3, what happens? Everything changes. New characters are introduced. New settings come into play. Some of the old characters go away. They may kill them off or they may go away on a journey. And, but in the next act, there's a whole new set of characters that come in. Now, I know this is simple, but just bear with me for a moment because if you think about the book of Acts and start reading it that way, and actually I've been reading through the book of Acts, and this is the way I've been reading it, Act 1. Well, there was just the intimate handful of disciples. When Jesus' feet lost gravitation, he ascended into heaven. I'm not going to uh, wear that out because we've already preached on it. Then we go into Act 2. What's Act 2? Well, now they're in an upper room. They went from the mount called Olivia to the upper room. In Act 2, it takes place for 10 days. And then we went into Act 3 last week when they were there praying and all of a sudden all the people were coming together from uh, 18 different nationalities and they were assembling there in Jerusalem and all of a sudden, Act 3, some new person shows up and yes, it is God in the form of the Holy Spirit. And now we go into Act 4 and the church is born. Now there's 3,000 new people that show up In Act 3, can you say a big stage? I mean, we went from four to five disciples to about 120 in the upper room to 18 different nations, now to 3,000 born-again, blood-bought, sealed with the Spirit, hot-hearted believers of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? All right. So in Acts chapter 3, here's what it's, Acts chapter 2, 40, here's what it says. And with many other wonders, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this crooked and perverse generation. Then they were gladly, those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day, about 3,000 souls were added to the church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions, their goods, and they divided them among themselves as anyone had need. So they continued daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church every day those who were being saved. Now, there was a time in my ministry where I actually led several conferences all week long just out of these verses. Because there's about six or seven good messages in just these verses that I shared with you this morning. Now, rest easy. I'm not going to give them all to you in one today. Matter of fact, I'm just going to give you the 30,000 Uh, foot view of this because what we see here was happening was this that they were doing a couple of things they were fellowshipping they were evangelizing they were worshiping and they were learning they were making disciples they were making disciples and here's what God did in Acts chapter 2 he did the most interesting thing because God showed up with the most unlikely people I mean if you think God doesn't have a sense of humor look around at who he's using Just look at me today. I mean, that is hilarious. Amen. 
I still get beside myself when I think that God wants to use me. I'm in awe. And so he, he goes into this group of people. Now, if you're ever going to do something, you, you kind of want people who are on common ground, correct? And so in the, kind of the same way of thinking. So Jesus finds this group of people from 18 different nationalities. In Acts chapter 2, it starts listing them in verse uh, 9 through verse 12 or through verse 11. There is 18 different people groups there. 18! They don't even speak the same language. Now let me just give you something a little extra. If you're a Bible student, you may remember that in the beginning, everybody spoke the same language. And one day, these philosophers got together and they said, you know what, we're going to build a temple to heaven. A tower, I mean, not a temple, a tower. And so they started building this tower. They were building it higher and higher and higher and higher. We're going to build a tower to heaven. Now, the interesting thing about that is, I don't understand that, and this is one of the things I really want to inquire after about 10,000 years of being in heaven. Like, God, did you really think they had the ability to get to the third heaven? I mean, honestly, because he comes down and he sees what they're doing, and he, he changes their language. And for the first time in history, in world history, all of a sudden everybody spoke, to, they went to work one day speaking the same language. And, the next, and at, they were at work that day, and when they left, they were all speaking different languages, and no one knew what the other one was saying or what the other one was doing. And so therefore, the temple, they, that's why they called it the Temple of Babel. People just began to babble. Now, that goes all the way back to Genesis in the beginning. Now, we're all the way in the beginning of the church. Now, this is just a little line yet. Here, lean in for a moment. And so, they all spoke the same language. God confused them. But now when the Holy Spirit comes on the scenes, Peter begins to speak and they say, this man is drunk because he's speaking in a language that we understand. And they said, how is it that we hear him in our language? Now it took, it took uh, humanity a very, very long time to catch up. And a good illustration of this is if you've ever seen the world leaders at the United Nations, they all have this earpiece on, and they clip it on their ear, and no matter who's speaking, they have the ability to hear it in their own language. You got that? You with me? But I'm telling you, when oh my goodness, when God shows up, He has the ability to not need an earpiece because He has the ear to our mind and our heart and our soul. And all of us, well, this is my message, so i got to really give it to you quickly. But it's been thousands of years. But now when He gets ready to build the church, that has access to heaven, he lets them all hear in the same language. Just a thought, okay? Take that home and chew on it. Maybe you can figure out the mystery, but when man was trying to get to heaven on their own, he confused their language so no one could understand. But when God provided access to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, he now lets everybody who's on their way hear them in their same language. So here's what he does. He showed up in the most unlikely place. And then God used the most unlikely people. And then God used the most unusable people. And then God qualified the most unqualified people. I thought about this. When a nation is born, let's just use the United States. It was predominantly 
Caucasian white people that came and founded our nation. And then, through the horrific acts of slavery and different things, different ethnicities began to come in, different people from uh, other countries began to make their way over after our nation began to grow. And so, as the nation began to move older and older and older, the the ethnic background began to change. The ethnic makeup began to change. Matter of fact, if you go to a city like New York, there is no majority. There's no people just look different everywhere you go. I remember the first one of the first times I was in New York, and and uh, I was trying to make my way through the subway. Yeah, that's a hilarious. And so I'm sitting there studying the subway map, and then four ladies get on the subway, and they're more confused than me. And I turned to the person who was with me, and I said, those four ladies are not from New York. And it's not because they were confused, but they were just everything about them, ethnically and the way they dressed and everything about them. I said, I guarantee you they're from the South. Sure enough, they're from Mississippi. So as we move on, nations begin to change. Matter of fact, in, by 2030... The number one ethnicity or color pigmentation of the skin will be bronze for Americans. It will no longer be white. Why? It's moving on into this different, it's evolving. As different people groups come in, different ethnicities, as they begin to blend, and the, all of a sudden the children begin to look different. Now here's why I'm saying this, stay with me. Because the church is the opposite, okay? The, uh, a nation starts out with everybody being similar, and then it transforms into many different uh, shapes and the way it looks. The church started off multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-dimensional, and now all of a sudden it is the most monolithic group of people, so homogeneous in its makeup that everybody seems to look the same. And so it's actually the direct opposite of how nations go. And so the church started off Multidimensional church is not a new thing. It's ancient. It's been around forever. And so as we think about this, God is doing something unique. Out of 18 different nations, he took 3,000 people and said, that's my church. That's my church. So how has it become so white, so black, so Hispanic? With no diversity. Well, because of man. And so what we're going to do today is share with you. You may remember, you may remember in January, I shared with you for fam a family of grace and what God was doing in our hearts and our lives and what that looked like. And I shared with you an aspect that God had been blessing our missional ministry so much that it actually began to pull the direction of the church sideways. And in reaching all these people, whether it be through English as a second language or adult literacy or undefeated, busting in our city kids or, or whatever it was through our recovery ministries or our outreach ministries, through all of these things, it began to take so much energy and so much resources that it actually began to, we, we, the missional success was paid on the altar of congregational success and making disciples. We were so busy and so passionate about winning people that we were pulled sideways on how to make disciples. One of the main reasons was just for time. 
It took so many resources. We went from on Wednesday night having all of these little house churches scattered around the city like in the book of Acts. And it took about six people here on a Wednesday night. You would drop your kids off and we'd have kind of traditional uh, Wednesday night ministry. And then you would go to your home group and, and have your home Bible study house to house. And then as that began to grow, now we need about 60 people every Wednesday night. And so as you can see that, it began to spread out. And so in January or the end of last year, God really began to convict us as a staff just about how we had to realign ourselves with the one thing God called us to do, and it was to make disciples. You may remember this Venn diagram here when we talked about there's three ways to make disciples. You can make disciples relationally. You can make them experientially. And then you make them academically. Now, you remember I talked to you about when I grew up as a church, almost everything that we did was academic. We learned the stories of the Bible. But nobody ever said, now come, let's go put them in practice. And there wasn't a lot of experiential opportunity, and there wasn't a lot of relational opportunity. As you look at these Venn diagrams, what you see here very clearly is this is everything that Family of Grace does. And one of the things that began to convict us as a staff that we had to repent of was that there was hardly nothing on the academic side where we were intentionally teaching our people to rightly divide the word of truth because three out of four students are leaving home and not coming back to the church because they don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. And so as we began to look at that, we began to ask God to show us where we were struggling. You may remember when we broke down that academic circle, we looked at the things that we had that were ongoing and things that were struggling. And today I'm happy to report that in January, we said by April 30th, we want to reestablish a balanced pathway of discipleship. And what that means is that it's going to be balanced. It's not going to just be all in one circle, all in relationally, all in experientially, all in academically, but we want to balance it out. And these were the things that were struggling. The house churches are circled there, and the summit was circled, and those other things were almost non-existent. And I'm glad to report that some of you ladies are just coming back on an intense weekend retreat where you are rightly dividing the word of truth and learning these things. And then we looked at this diagram, and this was the things that we had ongoing that was balanced out. When we looked at that, our ESL, our college ministry, our our summer uh, missionary ministry, where those chasers, the cultivate, where we bus in kids from some of the schools and do intentional tutoring with them, and then elevate, and which is our children's ministry, our traditional children's ministry, and gravity, our traditional youth ministry, and then exchange our ministry of helping people move forward and overcoming things they're struggling with. These things found the sweet spot. But if you go back to that first slide, you may remember there was a whole lot of other things that only found themselves in one of the certain areas. And so as we look at this, we begin to ask ourselves, how do we do this? And so we looked at it and we began to say, how do we find our balance? In the first Sunday of the year, I stood before you and I said, as your pastor, as your staff, by April 30th, we are going to create a balanced pathway of discipleship for you. Now, we're happy to report that after a lot of work, we have found our balance. Matter of fact, here are the ministries that have found them themselves in the pathway of balance that were not previously there before. The summits, which was where we intentionally equip men and women, not just academically, but where they come away and they build relationships and they do hands-on tasks where they can experience things together. 
our house churches are have a, a passionate pathway now to come back and to re-energize that and move in the right direction. FOG University, which where we intentionally take people through the pillars of the faith and teach them what it means to be a believer for Jesus Christ, these things began to be fundamental. And then our Elevate uh, discipleship. And, you know, we had our children's ministry in the back, and it was phenomenal, and our, our kids loved it. But we were struggling with really discipling them, getting beyond the story. Look, it's one thing to know about Jacob in the pit, and it's I mean, uh, Joseph in the pit, and it's one thing to know about Jacob and his struggle, and Daniel in the lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But how in the world do I apply that to my life? How do I make it relevant? And so we created this thing called Elevate D. And then our men and women's ministry went to the whole new level. Now, there are several ways that we have been working on all spring. And here's what it is. One of the greatest things was not that people didn't want to know the Word of God, but when do I have another moment to do that? Honestly, ask yourself. When do I have one more moment to do it? So in the spring, we took a group of adults through what we call FOGU, and we took a whole other direction on it. And so what we did differently was before you had to come sit in a classroom. And many people, uh, the last time you have before the whirlwind starts all over again is Sunday evening. And the last thing you want to do is come sit through a class to learn the Bible on a Sunday evening when you're trying to leave town on Monday morning. Many people work off and they, they have to leave town on Sunday night. They leave town on Monday morning. They don't come back. And we begin to say, how do we do this? In the day and age that we live in, how do we make disciples? And so what we did with that was we gave people an opportunity to come sit in a classroom. But also, if they couldn't make the classroom, we were using this new foundational uh, 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 Zoom. It's called Zoom, where you can log in, and we had live interaction. And so we had all these people that joined. And so we had some people sitting in a classroom, some joined by web web conferencing and the web conferencing was live we had live interaction with people in the classroom we had live interaction with people on the on the web conferencing and then if they couldn't come in the classroom and then if they could not join at that certain time then it was all recorded and so if they were working during that time all they had to do was email us and we were able to email them that Bible study. And at that hour that week that it fit their schedule, they were able to catch up and learn the Word of God. As your pastor, we begin to say, God, how do we do this? Lord, how do we teach the people the Word? God, how do we? If people want to know the Word, but the reality is, when do they learn the Word? And so we did that with a test pilot group, and, then, and, and we're ready to launch that. Matter of fact, starting on May the 6th, we will take another group through that. And so if you're interested... And experimenting with that. You can come physically. You can watch online. You can watch after the fact. Or you can do all three. You can do one a week. There's no reason that we can't find a spot where we can learn together. The other thing that we began to do is we did the same thing with our children's ministry. Elevate D. Where we intentionally disciple our children. If three out of four children are leaving home and never going back to church. And their reasons are, church is so shallow. It is so, 
irrelevant to where I am today, then we begin to ask ourselves, how do we not shallow out? How do we not become 10 miles, 100 miles wide and one inch deep? How do we teach our children to rightly divide the word of truth? And so this was a little risky, but we took a group of children through the same process, except they didn't have the opportunity to come sit in the classroom. They did it all online. And I am telling you, I know this seems nuts, and you may think I have just fallen out of the banana tree, but I am telling you, they loved it. Those kids loved it. They had live interaction. How many kids do you see with an electronic device in their hand? Is it good? Probably not. What are you going to do about it? Probably nothing. I mean, it's the reality of where we are. And these kids came, and they logged on, and, and they were able, our, our Elevate Children's Ministry team did a phenomenal job with interacting with these students, having them log on. And I would just tell you, as a parent, I'm just going to confess, it was pretty sweet to roll off the sofa from my Sunday afternoon nap at 4.50 and let my kid log on at 5 o'clock and me not have to shake them down back to the church house. And they're doing it themselves. It's the platform that our kids are learning in school. It's a platform that they're learning in college. And so we have to say, if we're going to be relevant and really teach our children how to become fully functional followers of Jesus Christ, then we have to figure out a way to disciple them. And so these are ways that we have done that. We have created this new dynamic with, uh, with, our, home, with our small Bible study groups. You may remember we called them... Uh, a house church where they meet in a house but what we have done on these small groups is we have taken away all the we've thrown the box away and said what we want you to do is to meet somewhere with like-minded people where you're growing and you're building relationships and you're learning the word together one of the great problems was a lot of people were already involved in our our missional ministries they didn't have another night of the week to give up and so what we've done is we've experimented with some people who are already involved in those missional ministries to find a collective overnight on that same night where they can just spend a few minutes together and say, how do we grow together? You see, as your pastor, we begin to say, and your staff, we begin to say, our number one responsibility is to make disciples. It didn't say our number one was responsible, responsibility was to, to, to do projects. It was to make disciples. And all the other things are outlets that connect you to people in the physical realm so that we can connect to them in the spiritual realm. But if the physical realm becomes so great that we're not able to connect with them in the spiritual, then we are not fulfilling what Jesus Christ left us to do. As your pastor, I would love for you. I would love for you to log on on May the 6th Join this web conference. If that's not for you, I'd love for you to come in person. Walk this out with us. I am telling you that it is our greatest desire to impact our city. And the only way we will impact our city is if we intentionally teach the people the word of God. Moving them to a level of maturity. It's our way that we are reporting back to you today that we want to be like the early church. If you go back and you look at those few verses, they met house to house. I mean, talk about non-traditional ministry. I mean, they came out of a pre-Christian world where there was no precedent set by any denomination. It wasn't what denominations thought. There was no, it was Christ had just come. The church was just being birthed. And here's what they did. 
They did whatever it took to impact the place where they lived, the people they knew, for the sake of the gospel. In Family of Grace, we've been passionately exploring this to see what God is doing, and it's what we believe he's called us to do. Guys, we want to live out the book of Acts. It's going to be hard. The book of Acts is so hard to get your mind around in some places, but it is so sweet because it was literally the Acts of the Apostles. What is going to be the acts of the apostles, the members of Family of Grace Church? I pray that our actions will lead many people to knowing Jesus Christ is their Lord and personal Savior. As we wrap this up, I pray that you will find one of these ways. If you want your children, our children's uh, Elevate D will start in the fall. But we have new life group opportunities are going to be kicking off. Man, go to the core. Say, tell me more about that. I want to plug in. I want to make a difference. There's one more thing that we want you to know as we wrap up today. The same way in January, we stood before you and said, here's what we believe God's calling us to do. And here's the date that we're going to do it by. This is also what God is calling us to do, is that he's moving us to the whole nother realm and what he is saying and what he is doing and He's wanting to lead us down the pathway to multiply. One of the things that we realized after the Coughlin-Saunders event was this, that we want to, we realize the size of our church. When you come here on Saturday night and there's 80, uh, 90, 70 people there, you think, man, I'm not part of a big church. It's just so small. When you come here this morning, you look around and there's some 50 people here. You're like, oh man, where, where is everybody? I'm just part of this little teeny tiny church. And then... You come to the second service, and it's packed, and, and uh, man, it's wall-to-wall, standing room only, and, and most Sundays. And, 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 but when you put all of that together, you realize we're a church that is tremendously blessed. And so we begin to ask ourselves, when we put everybody in the same room at Coughlin Saunders and filled up almost half of that building, we begin to say, okay, God, what does the next level look like for us? And so the next level for us, we know, is not to be bigger and build great stadiums but it's to impact our city and how do we impact our city by doing what they did in the book of acts we will spend this summer looking what the early followers of jesus christ did how they went house to house neighborhood to neighborhood city to city spreading the glorious gospel of jesus christ and where most churches are trying to grow larger it is our great desire that we can grow smaller that we can grow more intimately And yes, when you pull all of those groups together at the end of the day, we believe that we believe that it will be a great church, just like in the book of Acts. I know this isn't trending, but it's it's not new. May seem new to you, but it's actually pretty ancient. It's been around a long, long time.